Hello there, I'm Kid Champagne Matthew Haberman, and I have to say, it's time for another edition. It's the season premiere of Nostalgia Time with Kid Champagne, and we're doing it on New Year's Day, so I want to, it's just even great. We're going to pop the champagne for a new year, and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm your host, Kid Champagne Matthew Haberman, and today we got a great topic for you today. We, now... Back in the beginning, this is the season premiere of season two. On the series premiere of Kid Champagne, we talked about the whole franchise of Ghostbusters. But this is a new year, and on New Year's Day, it is a tradition for me. Um, every year my, for my family, I watch a movie, Ghostbusters 2. It is a New Year's movie. And to be honest, it is my favorite out of the franchise. And today, we're going to pop the champagne for the movie Ghostbusters 2. I'm your host, Kid Champagne Matthew Haberman, as you know. And with me today, I have my great guests. Um, my guests are all from a great uh, group, the New York City Ghostbusters, as you know, I am a member. Also with me today, one of my... But we have two great fellow members of New York City Ghostbusters. First, my good friend. He is the host of Unger the Radar. My good friend, Randy Unger. Randy, how are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to have you back. And, and you are, have been my co-host throughout season one. We're going to do it again for season two. And also with me, my my fellow friend from the New York City Ghostbusters, my friend Philip Rogers. Philip, welcome to Nostalgia Time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Awesome. I mean, it's just been great, and um, there's no one better than to talk about this topic with two. And this, um, I'm just going to put, this is your favorite movie of all time, isn't it? Ghostbusters 2. Me? Oh. Yes, both of you. <laughs> Phil? Well, well, just just for clarification, I love I love both movies equally. I love them both immense. Um, Ghostbusters two does hold a little bit special uh, um, special place in my heart because I did see that in the theaters, and I remember seeing the the, the poster when I was at King's Plaza with my mom, and it had a movie theater there, and I remember seeing. The, the Ghostbusters 2 logo with the ghost sticking out with the with the two and it's like coming next summer and I was just like wow and because at that point I was knee deep I was such a super fan of the animated series so I was I was telling my mom I was like can we go see it can we go see it she was like oh yeah we got it we got it. we gonna go see it. We're gonna see it so so yeah but a lot of people don't you know a lot of fans you know kind of dismiss Ghostbusters 2 but I will defend it till the day I die I love it. <laughs> that's awesome and for you Randy Ghostbusters 2 is your favorite movie out of the it franchise is. you know sometimes I'm ashamed to say that because if I talk to like film snobs they're like Ghostbusters 2 that's a trash movie and I, but you know what I know it's it's the inferior film of the two but for sentimental reasons it, it really holds a, a, a special place in my heart um you know, just like Phil said, the action figures, the toy line was really ingrained in me. So in 1989, I was four years old, and 
you've got the action figures, you've got the movie, you've got the song in your head. You know, all of these are such great, beautiful elements. And when they all come together so nicely in the sequel, it's really a shame that a lot of people don't like it. I mean, as for one, it has gained a cold following throughout the years, and we're definitely going to be talking about that. Um, but from, from my hand, Ghostbuster 2 hold it in my heart. It was actually um, the first of the Ghostbusters film that I saw in theaters. I was five years old when it came out. Um, and I'll definitely get in more of my views of it for what I think of the film, because we're going to go into it, and then we're going to... But, um, yeah, when we were all out, we were all born within 1984 19, to 1986. The first Ghostbusters film came out in 1984. We were just we were just pretty much born, so we had to grow up. And the first thing we probably reminisced wasn't just Ghostbusters. I think the cartoon is what first got me into Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters. And then I saw Ghostbusters in the film, and it was great. And then come 1989, Ghostbusters 2 came out. We all know 1989 was a really big hit year for movies. 1989 was a great yeah. year for movies across the board. Yeah. That's right. Sequels especially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a Those really, the really sequels. That was, an, I, I wish I was older during that time because that must have been insane to, to just soak all of that in, you know, go to the movies once a week and you see hit after hit. <laughs> yeah. See, I was born in 1980, so I was four when the first one came out and I was nine when the second one came out. So with me... Um, the four, the first one scared me, um, with the terror dogs and everything. So for, for a while I, I stayed away from it. But then when the animated series came out, I was able to like, okay, this is what it's about. That's what it's about. Then when I got a little bit older, like six, seven, I went back and I saw the first movie and I was like, ah, okay, that's what, that's Egon glasses. And okay. Ah, oh yeah, this is. This is fun. This is fun. So the animated series allowed me to ease back into the, helped me get over my fear. And like I said, by the time the second one came along, I was, I was a diehard fan. And that's good. And which brought us to this because our love of Ghostbusters, we found, we found membership in the New York City Ghostbusters. I know it's been hard for the through this pandemic. We haven't been together. We haven't been um, together to suit up like this. And hopefully now it's a new year that we can do it. The va- I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know that we are all going to get back together and suiting up for one big event coming. I see whether it's from six months or so, but I do see it coming. I do see some light at the end of the tunnel. I believe you're referring to the release of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember, Phil, you probably remember too, when we were invited to, to the premiere of the 2016 uh, Paul Feig film. And I'm really hoping, I mean, fingers crossed, maybe Ghost Coral will reach out to us again. We'll see. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, yeah, it would be amazing if, you know, things kind of, get better kind of clear up and it'll allow us to take another trip to uh, Los Angeles. So, but yeah, uh, even if we don't go, um, afterlife is going to be, it it looks pretty good and I'm excited to see that. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. 
Yeah, I, I hope so, too. Let's hope for the best. Yeah. So within, it's time that we start discussing and celebrating the topic of our one of our favorite films, Ghostbusters 2. So within, Ghostbusters 2 was released on June 16, 1989. Directed and produced by Ivan Reitman. Written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. And starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, and Annie Potts. The plot, it takes uh, five years after the... To, after the destruction of Go, of the coming of Gozer, the Ghostbusters have been sued by every uh, city organization, county in this in the city of New York, which made them go out of business. At the time, at this is they've all uh, the Ghostbusters have gone their sep- separate ways. At the time, they. Um, Ray and Winston were doing a little side business of doing parties. And we can see what... And we, um, and one who is in there... And, of course, with the kids, it doesn't... The party doesn't go good. Especially with uh, um, one who I will not be named right now who said that they are full of crap and that's why they went out of business and we'll talk about him in a little bit later <laughs> um, and then Egon is working at a university at the time um, and of course um, Dr. Vankman is a washed up television host on the world of the psychic <laughs> And that scene, by the way, it, it's, it featured Kevin Dunn, who predicted the end of the world, as well as um, Chloe Webb. Those are two uh, actors who would later on collaborate uh, with Ivan Reitman on, on other films. Actually, Chloe Webb was in Twins the year before with, with Reitman. And Kevin Dunn was in Dave in 93. And then later on, he was in Draft Day uh, in, I think, 2014. Uh, both directed by by Reitman, so trivia. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> and in this, Dana Barrett, uh, Peter's ex girlfriend, has an infant son named Oscar with her ex husband, and works at an art museum cleaning paintings. She turns to the Ghostbusters to help after Oscar's baby stroller rolls seemingly by itself into a busy road intersection, and at the museum, a portrait of. Vigo the Carpathian, a brutal 16th century tyrant and powerful magician, comes to life and enslaves Dana's boss, Janos Janos Poha. Vigo orders Janos to bring him a child so he might live again. (laughs) And, And he possesses Janos, allowing him to escape the confines of his painting and live again to conquer the world because of his infatuation with Dana, Janos chooses Oscar. <laughs> Meanwhile, the go- as the, the Ghostbusters were um, investigating the intersection where Oscar's st- stroller stopped, they find the honeypot. And so they decide to cut a little hole on First Avenue and discover a river of slime. And the Ghostbusters, after they caused a citywide blackout and 
because of their restraining order, they get arrested and they go to court the next day and they have like the slime as evidence. And as the judge Rex is very angry and tirade against the Ghostbusters and then the slime just grows and explodes and then we get the Scolari brothers, right? Don't we love the Scolari brothers, guys? <laughs> yeah, yep, love them. Very cartoonish. <laughs> they look good. Good design. And because the judge got so scared, he decided to forgive the orders and the Ghostbusters were back in business. <laughs> During my favorite scene, that montage... So, yeah, with uh, Run DMC's uh, remix of the Ghostbusters theme. Awesome scene. So, as they get uh, back to back to work, you know, there's still some things that happened. Um, where the slime where the and the bathtub came to life to try to eat Dana's baby Oscar. And runs to Peter, and which starts the investigation on Vigo. As the uh, Peter takes pictures of Vigo, and they discover that there's a connection with Vigo and the River of Slime, and with that they find the slime and they accidentally fall in. Um, Winston, Egon, and Rafe accidentally falls into the river, where they discover the flow goes right to the museum. And it keeps on growing. And because the slime is negatively charged, they went to the mayor, but the mayor just simply does not believe them. And his assistant, Jack Hanemeyer, commits them to Parkview Hospital. And there things go haywire. And the only way to and the only way to stop is for the Ghostbusters to create positive energy. They bring the slime blower and bring the Statue of Liberty to light and pilot it to defeat Vigo and save the world again. So with my views with the, um, with Ghostbusters, it's mo yes, it mostly got negative reviews, but it was still a success in the box office because of the popularity of Ghostbusters throughout. It made over $200 million at the time. Though it is my favorite as a film, as much as I respect the first movie, it's a great film. I don't care what anybody else says. It is a good film. It tells a great story. I also love the the equipment that they've used, that they've introduced. Yeah. And I also feel that the villain is more popular than Gozer. I'm sorry, I do. I like Vigo. More the villain. More imposing, for sure. But it also is a film that teaches us unity and to be happy and to have unity. And even though something like this, this is much needed right now, is unity and togetherness. And to treat other with, others with compassion. So it, it does have a very strong message of that. And that's what makes this one of the, one, one of the better uh, films in, in my history of, of film watching. That's for sure. Um, Philip, what do you think? Uh, what are your views of the film? Um, I think it's a great companion to the first one. Um, uh, I, I like the whole idea of aspect of getting the band back together. Um, 
the whole thing about unity, I, I definitely agree because that's how they were able to, to that was um, key in beating Vigo. Um, and yeah, I just think that it's a it's a it's a it's a fun movie. We get to meet Vigo a lot early in the movie, um, whereas there was a build up to Gozer, which was just, just totally fine. But uh, it was it's 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 a good movie. It's just a, a light. It's lighter. It's lighter in tone, and it's just a fun ride. It's a fun ride. It did no. It did not make as much as the first one, but. It was the summer sequels and summer um, other blockbusters. So, but in order, although for it to make what it did, it was still amazing. And it was, uh, I think, the the eighth highest grossing film of 1989. So, and you're, it's a sea of sequels that year. Um, I'm looking right now. So you got Karate Kid Part 3, Star Trek V, Lethal Weapon 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I'm, I don't see it here that it might, I think that might have been number one. Um, I'm not positive on that, but just a lot of sequels, a lot of fun movies, you know, like, like family-friendly sequels. And yeah, Shrunk the Kids, yeah. License to Kill, Batman. Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, that's what Batman was number one. Thank you, Phil. Batman, uh, which is interesting because that's um, a bit darker than Ghostbusters two, but still pretty accessible for children. I mean, I remember seeing it in theater. I remember having the Toy Biz uh, action figures and the bad yep. game. That those were good times. And um, but for in terms of action figures, uh, I think. The first one I had, one of the first one I had was in 1987. It was, it was one of the, it was a Peter Venkman out of one of the real Ghostbusters lines. I think it was a fright, the fright, I don't know which one, fright features or something like that. Um, and yeah, that was one of my first figures, and it just, it was, it coincided with this film, and it really, you know, that was a great time, uh, late 80s for me, early 90s personally, um, in terms of, you know, just film in general and, and action figures and that, and that connection to that emotional connection a kid has with a toy to a cartoon to a movie it's it's really powerful and you don't really see that now i mean I, at least i haven't seen it so i don't know but um yeah um so one thing i know is that they're in the film there have been some some plot holes to it some things that I have thought about over the years, and one plot hole it is, is, you know, in the courtroom scene, Winston was there. Now, of course, he wasn't involved. He didn't get arrested, but he was there. So my point is, why wasn't Winston ghost-busting the Scolari brothers in the courtroom scene? Well, apparently, okay, I asked that very same question, and someone told me on Instagram, in one of the com- one of the comics, yes, uh, answers that question. I haven't gotten around to it, but he said the answer is in that comic is in that comic, and I have that comic. Oh, and but I'll tell you for what it is like during this when Ivan Winston was originally supposed to be in that scene. But it was edited and he was pulled. I even wanted to have just Peter, Ray, and Egon in as a reminiscence 
to the first films, like as the ballroom scene to prove, you know, for the Ghostbusters are back. So it won't be for those three. But however, in this, that plot hole was filled in that and Ghostbusters annual comic. I think came out in 2018 or two or or so. It was in their annual issue uh, of the company who makes the Ghostbusters comic books. And it shows that Winston was ghostbusting the Scolari brothers' mother, who they use in tribute to the Fratellis. <laughs> Goonies. <laughs> I never heard that. That's interesting. So that's how I, that plot. I figured whole... that Winston didn't bust uh, the Scolari brothers because there were only uh, three proton packs. There the... was only there was three proton packs on there. That's how they. That's how it was, but then they put in for that plot hole. So the plot, you're right, Philip, the plot hole is explained in that comic book. Hmm. Wow. Nice. I'll have to get those issues. <laughs> That's the IDW, right? The yeah. IDW one, yes. Nice. So, um, I, I have a bunch of those, and they have done some great work. <laughs> they do the like the parallel dimensions with, like, uh, real Ghostbusters and the movie version. Uh, so that's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, and they did the crossover with the 2016 uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, interesting. That was a big deal. And the Ninja Turtles, right? They had one? Yes. And another one, here's another plot hole. Now, also in the film, we see it. It's the creation of the slime blower. You know, we haven't heard really that much of any cre- of like any conversations, only that we show in some scenes that, you know, the the blaster that they used for the slime blower in it, and we show that uh, Ray and Egon were working on it. But there's just no explanation of why the the slime blower was created. Well, I mean, in the first movie, we we never see we, we never see them build the, the proton packs. I mean, the closest we come is uh, when they're having dinner before they get the call to go to the hotel. You see Egon tinkering with the neutrino wand, but we never we never um, we never actually see them see them building it. I mean, um, and in the on the poster, we see them wearing the slime blower so i guess psychologically you know i guess they was trying to plant the seed that okay new uniforms new equipment a new this is a, a brand new story so i mean it was like you said they was trying to get like a positive charge in it so i guess they thought that weaponizing positive slime would would be a, be a help helpful yeah, I think it would have been, like, they could have used it against just regular ghosts, you know, instead of the proton pack, which emits basically a laser beam. Uh, instead, they'll have positive charged slime to neutralize um, negative, you know, uh, um, hostile ghosts. So I think it, w- it would have, like, sort of taken the place of a new, become like a new proton, neutrino, neutrino wand, in a way. It's my thought. <laughs> Well, and also another thing, too, is, you know, in Ghostbusters 2, in the first scene, we've seen the Ecto-1, you know, how it is, it was all beat up, 
So, and then, you know, as they get back into business, you know, they've rebranded, they updated their logo. They also updated the Ecto-1. But this is also another question in the debate. Because we're also going to be seeing this in the movie, too. In the, in the upcoming film, which we will be talking about before. Is the Ecto-1A a brand new car, or is it updated from the Ecto-1? It's a brand new car. It's a brand new car, because I didn't notice until not too long ago. It is a brand new car. Uh, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, Star Trek Four when they got the new Enterprise, but it was the NCC one seven zero zero A, same model, but it's a different car. It's yet the one A. So that car that we see in Afterlife is probably the one from the first one. Okay, well that that settles it. Thank you, Philip, for that one. But then, so they completely skip over the the one A. What happened to one A? I guess we'll find out in, in Afterlife. <laughs> There's just so much yeah. that's been happening, so we're going to find out with that. Exciting. And, and now, here's another thing. To, and another thing is that in this with the Ghostbusters and the DVDs and the Blu-rays is the deleted scenes. Some, you know, I've seen uh, a few. One I, I just... Um, that just came onto YouTube is the full Ghostbusters commercial from Ghostbusters 2. As you know, you've seen bits and pieces from that montage from when they did Run DMC's The Ghostbusters Rap. I, I fully watched it. So it explains a lot of how they, they, you know, new and improved, why they updated their logo. And, and you see them outside by the firehouse. We're still ready to believe you. I think that's one of my favorite deleted scenes from... Uh, the Ghostbusters film. I wish they fully put it in there, but uh, I'm glad they used it in a ways that they did, but I, I it would have been nice to see it fully. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, that would have been good, uh, but while on the topic of deleted scenes, there was one where uh, T- Lewis Tully is hunting Slimer, in the firehouse and he like startles janine by basically almost shooting her (laughs) um that was cute that that felt like it was like ripped right out of the cartoon so that would have been fun to have uh, because i I really i think there was very little um lewis tully in the in in this movie which was kind of sad but um yeah i wanted to see more of him and that that scene really stuck out for me would you like to see a lot more of slimer Mm-hmm. No, I think they used him. I think he was used well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if if I were four years old again, maybe. <laughs> but I think we we had enough Slimer, and it was an interesting uh, interesting thing I read about uh, Slimer driving the bus. Is that um, maybe Slimer was a bus driver in a previous life? So I thought yeah. that was an interesting theory. <laughs> Um, Max Landis wrote a treatment for a third Ghostbusters movie, and in that treatment, um, Slimer, when he was human, got mixed up with Evo Shandor, um, and he was mur- He ended up getting murdered. Um, I think he was like a small town hood, like a small city hood or something, I, I forget, 
but he ended up getting murdered, and that was his that was his origin. Damn, <laughs> that's intense. <Yeah. laughs> that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what are your other like? You've seen a lot of the deleted scenes. Uh, from Ghostbusters 2, which ones um, did you like the best and which ones do you think feel shouldn't have been cut from the film? Uh, I like the I like the, the courtroom scene with Dana when she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I kind of feel personally responsible for this. And Bankman's like, well, you are personally responsible for this. <laughs> uh, but everything, I think that Everything that was eliminated, it was it was eliminated for a good reason, and uh, I don't think the movie suffered for not having them in the movie. I mean, yeah, they're cute to look at, you know, you, you know, you laugh and you like, eh, but like with Hart of Meyer in the in the wall of slime, that was just, I was like, nah, it, it, it. that was so strange because the basically the slime mold kind of sucked him in, and yeah, his, his shoes smoking, like, yeah. Did, did the slime become the blob all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, it, it just yeah. it didn't. That was just odd to me. Really, yeah, cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was not one of my favorite of the deleted scenes. But also, I know how they they reworked uh, one of the scenes in there. Um, you know where Winston, Egon, and Ray were on their clothes to go and locate the river of slime where they did where they came up knocking at the, uh, Peter's apartment saying for them to come with us and then you go oh hi boys and then it's like yeah. oh he's not coming <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was cute but it was I like the way that they um, did, ended up doing it in the in the movie yeah that it was, just was... it made more sense on the street it, it just flowed better you know um, and it was the same exact dialogue right yeah, it was pretty much the same dialogue. Maybe there was just one or two lines that were different that would have that were cut. It was still the pretty much the same scene, but I understand for how they went for it. You know, they just had to do a little rewriting, a little retweaking. Yeah. How about you, Matt? What's your? Do you have a favorite um, deleted scene yourself? Mine is the commercial. Mm. Nice. The hot thermos mug and uh, the balloon for the kitties <laughs> yeah and note that I um, that is the only with the only scene that they shot with the um, firehouse at 8 hook and ladder in New York I think the rest was I think other there was a couple of other scenes but that was one that was fully um, at the firehouse in New York and there's an, I think there's also in the credits, uh, Rick Moranis is going through the door. He goes around and around through the front that's, doors. Yeah, but that's Los Angeles. That's not New oh, okay. York. Okay. You know what? I thought that the, the doors the doors looked uh, different. Okay. Interesting. They look very different from the uh, from the Tribeca location. Now on to this, I also have one is that Ghostbusters two also creates some great quotes from the lines. That I loved in the day. Um, I quote Vigo a lot. I I think all the lines from Vigo were great. <laughs> I love those. Um, but also another one coming from Mayor Lenny. Um, this is one that 
<laughs> I think could be at true at heart. Being miserable and treating people like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. Good night, gentlemen. <laughs> and he's Vigo. You're like the buzzing of flies to him. <laughs> I think some of those are just some of my uh, favorite quotes. Um, we all quote Ghostbusters to all the time when we're together. Um, what are some of your favorite quotes, Randy, from Ghostbusters 2? <laughs> wow. Um, kind of put me on the spot. I'm I kind of like when uh, that, that weird guy leaves um, Ray's a cult, and then a a Dan Aykroyd is like, my best to the coven. <laughs> I don't know. Just it's, It was just a strange line to me. Um, basically, anything Peter McNichols said as Janos Poha. Because he was hilarious. And, um, yeah. Uh, and at midnight, the world will be v mine and Vigo's. Well, mostly Vigo's. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's. I think the first movie might have more... It, it might be more quotable. But there are still some good ones in, uh, in this one as well. Uh, yeah, Jack Hardemeyer. I'm trying to think of some of his... I don't know. Yeah, Bill Murray's like, oh, would you shut your mouth for just two little minutes? You know. Um, yeah, more will come to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, Randy. Uh, uh, Philip, the question to you. What are your favorite quotes uh, from the movie? Uh, I like it when uh, when, when uh, Peter McNichol is like, when, when, when Peter's like, oh, he misses his kitten. No, just, he's like, oh, no, please, the joyfulness is over. And Benjamin goes, well, you're not going to get a green card with that attitude, my friend. <laughs> and, uh, oh, when, when he asked him, like, where the hell are you from anyway? And he's like, the Upper West Side? Yeah. Um, Mayor Lenny, when he says, I mean, he's like, okay, enough is enough. Give me the Ghostbusters. And Hardemeyer is like, oh, I'm sure there's another way. And he's like, listen, I spent an hour last night <laughs> talking to Fiorello LaGuardia, and the man's been dead for 40 years. <laughs> Get me the Ghostbusters. Uh, uh, I got a good one. It's like, um, it's some dock supervisor on Pier 34. Yeah. He said the Titanic just arrived. Well, yeah. better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, when they're down in the sewer and, 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 uh, the, the phantom train, you know, goes through Winston and he's like, oh, did you get the number? He's like, sorry, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Uh, I love how her. I, I, to be uh, this, I feel Ernie Hudson was great in this movie, and Ernie Hudson holds a lot to my heart. Um, I, I know I'm going a little off topic here, but I'm going to put this to you, um, for you two especially. One of my favorite moments, uh, even being with the New York City Ghostbusters or even being a fan of Ghostbusters, the day that we all, the three of us, went to East Coast Comic Con. And we met Ernie Hudson that day. Yes. Uh, I mean, that was one of my favorite memories yes. of all. I got to meet one of the OGs, and he said, you know, I was in my, my, my GB2 suit and everything. And he was like, you look great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was definitely a highlight. I mean, I remember when I posted that online, I got like the most likes then. <laughs> Because everyone knew at that point how big a fan I was of Ghostbusters. I like to dress up and everything. And when they saw me, the picture of me and him, that got like a whole bunch of likes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was. Um, he certainly is the most accessible um, of all of them, all of the actors. And I remember that yeah. I got you on that picture with me. That was just one of my highlights. And the and even having my father here, the generation he knows. I hope I get to meet Ernie Hudson again. And the, when the next time I bring Ernie Hudson, I'm bringing my father back with me and also my son to get uh, a generation photo with him, with Ernie Hudson. Uh, I think that's something I would love to do. And I really hope that it comes to light. Mm. Nice. I know he'll be back. I, I know it. Oh, yeah. Um, and that actually, that, w- that wasn't the first time I saw him. I actually met him a few years prior at uh, New York Comic Con. And they had the Ecto-1A on display. And I got a, a photo with him. And I, I think I was shaking <laughs> next to him. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, this is Winston. What? <laughs> but um, really great memories. And yeah, Matt, that, to have your son meet a, a, a Ghostbuster, I think that would be priceless. And also, I mean, like I said, and that's what I have. The Ghostbusters 2 is a, a great movie. And I had him sign this, as, and one of them, and we're going to be talking, it's with the equipment. But I have a signed Ernie H- a, a Winston action figure with him in the slime blower. Nice. It's one of my favorite. And which brings me to which we want to talk is the, go- the equipment that was used in Co- Ghostbusters 2. Yes, you know, the Proton Pack, which is pretty much the lifeline of any Ghostbuster, am I right? Yes, of course. And you know what? Um, I think the term Proton Pack was first coined in part two. I don't think they were calling it that until the second movie. That was it. Actually, the real Ghostbusters first. I'm not sure, but... Did they mention it in the cartoon? They did mention it in the cartoon. Okay. Then never mind. <laughs> well, I, I think in the first movie, like the Proton Pack, it was, well, we j- everyone has like a, a nuclear accelerator. Unlicensed Un- nuclear accelerator on its back. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was known as. <laughs> but uh, others that was used in it, of course, the, the PKE meter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Geiger meter, and I like the Geiger meter. I don't know why, yeah. but, but it I looks do. cool. And I wish that you know they they had it like I know, um, Spirit Halloween or whatever they came out. You know, you can um, and let's not knock it. I know that like all of us, you know, um, a proton pack. You know, for us to get for the cosplay group, you know, it's an expensive tool. I know. Um, yes. Philip, you can agree with that one, I bet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, but it's it's worth the investment. It, it's definitely worth the investment. Yeah, I'm definitely saving up. Hopefully, this year um, things will open up and it'll give us some opportunities to show them off. But um, right now, I'm I'm still using the Spirit Pack, which and, is which yeah. is what I I want to say. You know, I have a Spirit Proton Pack too, and I gotta say. You know, hey, it's affordable, but I do not knock anyone for having a spirit proton pack. If it gives no. you a proton pack, what, you know, people are, you know, strapped for what they can do. But, you know, it, it's an affordable option. And if anyone, you know, wants to use a spirit proton pack, 
It is great. And you can modify it to how you want, but hey, it's still a Proton Pack. Yeah. It is. Thank you a special shout out to a video, Bob Mosley, uh, who designed, built my pack. Um, yeah, he, he, uh, he did a, a heck of a job. His mine is five years old now, and, and uh, it still works. And uh, it's great. Love it. It's a little it's dusty, fun. but yeah. <laughs> Is it 30 pounds? Yeah, about, yeah. That's the standard, yep. That's how much the packs were in the first movie. And then I think in the second one, they went went down to 28. <laughs> mm. So, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. but, um, also, what we've talked about, um, the slime blower. Now, that is my favorite uh, of the Ghostbusters equipment from the film. I don't know why. I love the design. Yeah, it's cool. A slime blower. So I think everyone knows if any Ghostbusters fan have it, it is the Ghostbusters, the ultimate visual history. It is sold in bookstores and on Amazon for every Ghostbusters fan. Um, This is a book um, for you to, to definitely have. So I suggest to read up on it. It has some great material and some great stuff in there. And one thing is like the slime blower, um, and they show like everything, like uh, how they built it. They gave like a slime blower schematic in it. Um, you have taken a look at it, Philip and Randy. Have you? I haven't re- really looked at that yet, but uh, it's been a I while. Though so I have the book. Got it, at Barnes and Noble a few years ago. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, this, I was in Barnes and Noble today, and they're selling it at the bargain uh, shelf for twenty dollars. That's a pretty good buy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I paid, what, $30, 40 $40 for this one? So when it... Um, it Comic-Con. Yeah. So in with the slime blower, I'm just going to read because I'm on the slime blower part. It was uh, a new piece. Um, the, it was heavier and bulkier than the original Proton Pack and required a small crew to mount each onto a cast member's back. So it was really heavy. Um, what, was what was the weight? Um, Cause it was, a lot, it was, so it must've been over 30 pounds. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was a big tank for how it is. It consisted of a large metal tank and a handheld nozzle. The blower released an air blown, air blown stream of positive energy mood slime prior to the confrontation with Vigo, the Ghostbusters spray the Statue of Liberty's metallic innards um, with a dripping coat which allows the statue to move and in reality the amount of the amount of goo released from the slime blowers in the scene is an order of magnitude greater than the volume of the slime that could actually fit inside the prop tanks. But it's, I mean, it is still one. I mean, we've seen people with um, slime, man-made uh, made slime blowers. Um, and they say it's lighter than a proton pack, I guess, for how they built it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they do it with, like, empty tanks, too. Uh, like, I don't know what they use for the main tank. But there's two on each side, which look like portable oxygen tanks yeah 
Um, the main one, I think, is uh, like a heater, right? Or a, part of a heater, if I'm not mistaken. It looks it looks complex and extremely heavy, but I'm, yeah, I'm surprised it's lighter than the Proton Pack. Uh, I still feel like it is my favorite of them. Um, what is your favorite of the equipment that was used in the Ghostbusters films? Either one or two. Randy, what do you? What is yours? Uh, slime blower is pretty cool. Um, I did like the divide, the slime scooper they call it when uh, that uh, Ray was in. Oh yes, and he scoops up some sample. I thought that was a pretty cool looking uh, uh, device. Uh, and I think they, they recreated some of those uh, accessories and, and um, for the uh, Ghost, real Ghostbusters line. Because I noticed that some of them, some of the, uh, pr- the little weapons and, and accessories for the action figures, uh, they bear a, a resemblance to the movie props. Uh, Philip, what, what about for you? Uh, for me, it has to be the, uh, the Nintendo joystick. <laughs> uh, so you understand, so you guys are a little bit younger, but when I, when we, when we were kids, when I was at my age, that joystick, we all wanted that joystick. <laughs> um, so when we saw, we was like, ooh, you know, that was like the first uh, uh, control, home controller, like with a, with a joystick like that. So, <laughs> yeah, to see it on screen, see it in the movie, that was, that was a big deal. Oh, yeah, it's all right. The pilot controls for the Statue yeah. of Liberty. Which I still, to this day, I still don't know how that works. I mean, how do you plug <laughs> a joystick into a, 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 a statue? It's the magic of the movies, Philip. Yeah, 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 of course. I don't know. Classic. Yeah, I remember the joystick. Um, I remember 1989. That was the year I got an NES. And um, I didn't have the joystick, but... Um, I remember seeing it in in the advertisement, the uh, the booklet that would come with the system, um, and it would it would be advertised in there. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I will also say uh, one thing in Ghostbusters Two that I enjoyed is the music from the soundtrack of Ghostbusters Two. Um, I you know don't get me wrong, I still love who you're gonna call from. Uh, Ray Parker Jr. and a light, and it definitely was used in the movie, and I'm glad about that. But, you know, Ghostbusters 2 had a really good soundtrack. Really good. Some of my favorites on it was On Our Own by uh, Bobby Brown, of course. Mm -hmm. I I love that one. Uh, Shout out to Christopher Reeve, who was in the video. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, Okay. Um, You know what? I got to rewatch that video again. Um, Flip City. I like that song. Um, Higher and Higher. Classic. The Ghostbusters rap by Run DMC. And now here's something that just crossed my mind. I I mean, and it wasn't really a song that I liked, but um, now that, you know, reading into it, like I just didn't realize that he was involved in this. And that was Flesh and Blood performed by Oingo Boingo, the band of Danny Elfman. Yep. My favorite composer and my favorite movie. I can't get over that. Um, only if, if Tom Hanks were in the movie, then it would be a trifecta. <laughs> so I, I got I to give yeah. him credit, but that, that, that was a busy year for Danny Elfman for, the 19, for being in the film score for Batman and for this. But hey, I got, you got to give him credit. Danny Elfman um, 
gave a contribution to Ghostbusters 2. I, I, I cannot believe it. I still can't believe it. it, it that's, that's great. Um, and yeah, Batman would come out at what, the following weekend or a few weeks later. And yeah, definitely uh, a big year for, for Mr. Elfman. <laughs> oh, what do you think about the, for the soundtrack, Philip? Oh, it's, it's great. I remember my mom bought the, the CD and uh, I remember because uh, it had the guys, uh, the, the picture of them from the poster, it was on the cover and I used to listen to it all the time. Um, on our own, of course, uh, run DMC, but now my, my favorite, it has to be Flip City. I love that song. It's a great song for a montage of like all hell is breaking loose sung by the uh, the late great Glenn Frey who also gave us the Miami Vice classic You Belong to the City and I'm surprised like other horror movies or the, you know other trail houses don't use that song for you know supernatural you know all hell's breaking loose um, uh, scenarios but uh, yeah just like it has a sense of uh, urgency you know it's like you know it's a a cool song. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack is good. I'm an owner of it. I'm sure all of you are owners of it, too. But I'm not. It's on iTunes, so... Um, I have to... I have to I, that, the, the, that CD that my mom got is long since gone. I have to get... I have to get another copy. I do have the, the, the first soundtrack album. I have the album and the Elmo Bernstein score for the first one. I gotta get that... Uh, the, the the second one, I got to get the the score and the soundtrack for the 2016 version. Then I'll be all caught up. <laughs> nice. Speaking of scores, um, Randy Edelman, I think he did a great job with part two. Yeah. You know, he sort of has the same sound like throughout most of his scores. Kind of like that, a sense of urgency, um, a lot of strings, and a lot of electronics. Uh, he actually scored... Uh, I think he did, he did Twins the year before and Kindergarten Cop uh, the following year, mm-hmm. also directed by Reitman. And uh, he did, oh, The Mask, Dragonheart. Uh, yeah, he's just a, yes. he's an yeah. underrated composer, I'd say. And uh, I believe his score, his full score is on YouTube, if you, if you guys are curious. I don't think it's a full score. I just think it's a bunch of... See, I've been listening to movie scores since I was four years old. So I don't think... It's not complete. It's only like he, because he, he uses, um, okay, Vigo has a theme. You have the, the love theme with, with Dana and Peter. You kind of have like the, uh, the action, the yeah. action theme with the Ghostbusters, the, uh, then, 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 that's pretty much it. I don't think maybe he might not have had time to do like a full score. Maybe just like okay, just just you know, I'm gonna just you know, just like I got my action score, I got the the love theme, I got the villain theme, and that's pretty much it. Because if you listen to it, a lot of those cues are used more than once, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it works. It works. Yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. They, they they could have fleshed it out more. And really developed a, like the the heroic theme would have been nice to to hear like you know, a little more build up with like more brass kind of layer it on and kind of yeah but um I think it's still a decent score it, yeah 
very different from Elmer Bernstein. <laughs> so yeah. I wish maybe they could have connected it more to the first film. Yeah, but yeah, I think Elmer Bernstein had passed away by that point. Mm. Yeah, but as a, like, but as like a, like an homage to him, they could have thrown in one of the original themes. But uh, it, it worked. Oh, it did. Yeah. And one thing is just like how they did the film now. Of course, you know, Ghostbusters 2 was based in New York just as the first film was. Um, you know, we've all had the opportunity to go to some of these filming locations, aren't, aren't we all? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so first, for what Ghostbusters 2 was filmed... Um, Eight Hook and Ladder, obviously, the Ghostbusters firehouse. Um, and now, here's one thing. I, now, we all know, but to my audience, if you go, it's in New York City down. Uh, what is the streets are they located down for Eight Hook and Ladder? Uh, Water Street, I think it was. Uh, wait, wait, uh, wait a minute. I'm trying to do it by memory, but I, I think I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> Hook and Latta. That is 14 North Moore Street. Okay, North Moore Street. Yes, yes. And you know, they have a dig... Um, now, here's one thing. If you're lucky to peek inside the firehouse, you will see the sign of, of the screen-used Ghostbusters 2 logo that was yes. used in the movie. Yeah, I, have, I took a picture with that in my GB2 suit uh, where we all went down there for Halloween 2015. That was a really fun night because the Ghostbusters of Kentucky, I forget which Ghostbuster group it was. They had an ecto. So we all stood there. The, the, fire, the, the firemen were gracious enough to let them peel out, like in the first one, peel out and to hit the corner. And we were all like, "Woo, yeah!" <laughs> it's so crazy. A bunch of adults dressed up as Ghostbusters cheering because of a car came out of a firehouse. But it was—I had so much fun that night. Oh yeah! Now I know the sign. Now they usually have it inside the house, but on occasions mm -hmm. they'll put—they'll—they'll they'll hang it. Usually, yes. I think on Halloween and yes. on the holidays. Yeah, Ghostbusters. It's like. You're 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 a rock star on Halloween. <laughs> um, I'm serious. I'm not that Halloween. Oh, no, I've been there. The, we came, <laughs> we've yeah, been we there. We've all the been subway, there. At Union Square, every five every five steps we took, someone wanted to take pictures with us, and we was like, you know, I'm like, we're sorry, we're like we we really gotta go." Firehouse. <laughs> we was like, "I'm really sorry, we really gotta go." Yeah. And I'll tell you, marching in a parade, we've done the the um, the village parade a few years now. Uh, not last year, obviously, but the village parade and the uh, the Boston St. Patrick's Day parade. Oh, just, yeah. Just that walking, that you know, marching down, having people, you know, cheer you, uh, cheer, throw stuff at you, but in a good way, like uh, bracelets. And I think people were throwing beers at us and we would catch them. And um, it's just it's a feeling like none none other. Like when you when you suit up and become a Ghostbuster, people treat you in a whole different way, and it's really nice. Yeah. Oh, it's it is. A, it's a different type of uh, cosplay. Um, I guess because um, 
the uh, the props that we use there's like a real uh for it it looks real i guess for lack of a better term and uh it's just it's just different than i mean we've seen superman and your batmans and your harley quinns you see that but a ghostbuster is something something different something special about that yeah it's not easy <laughs> you know that's just as hard as you know getting a spider-man or a or a Harley Quinn or a, a Stormtrooper suit. I think the thing with us is, you know, there's so many of us, there's so much room for growth uh, in the Ghostbusters community, and anybody can be a Ghostbuster. Just suit up, have a proton exactly. pack, and well, walk down the street. Exactly. It, it so was really pretty fun. much for what what they said, you know, when you're never going to regret this, and, you know, putting the money in that the franchise rights would give, bring them millions and the franchise rights have brought millions of people together it has all over the world yeah we are legion (laughs) it's a phenomenon that's for sure (laughs) here's another one from ghostbusters 2 which now we have done the tour from our fearless leader in the new york city ghostbusters and he brought us to the Museum of the Native American, part of the Smithsonian, which was yes. used as the Manhattan Museum of Art, home of Vigo the Carpathian. Now we had a chance to go inside, and it was taught, and how it was taught is that, and we did see it that there is some rem- reminiscence of the pink slime used it stained on the walls, and you can see it. We have saw mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was yep. so cool. <laughs> and the desk where, you know, hey, Dr. Vinkman, you're part yeah. of the world of the sidekick. Oh, yeah, what's what your other favorite show? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Yeah, I know Bassmasters. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a Bassmasters pen. Uh, this uh, this uh, girl on Etsy, she makes um, pens, and she made a, a Bassmasters pen. <laughs> really cool. I like it. We also, and as as you can also go out, you can see, um, you know, the covers of the manholes where they are come where, and from that scene where um, Winston, Ray, and Egon come out and they're all slime, they're all ready to duke it out. Yep. So it was fun. It was fun. It was so awesome to see that. Like, oh, they stood there. <laughs> yeah, that whole yeah. area that that they use for the location. Um, you know, I think my uncle was there. He was like a spectator watching them film. And um, I'm very jealous of him for that. <laughs> um, and also another filming location, which is actually right from where it is, just a, a little bit out. You can go down to Battery Park. The other filming location, the Statue of Liberty. Yes. She's yes. friendly. You know that. Yeah, <laughs> we've all That's stepped like on Liberty line. Island. We know that that was definitely a filming location. They actually did something where they were. I don't. I'm, well, I I do know this is that it was actually on a soundstage where they were in the Crown. I think they tried to get one when they were in the Crown, but you know it was way too high. So I think that was part of a soundstage. Yeah, I think the actual statue crown. Uh, was too small to fit all four guys. Um, so they had to actually build it 
on a soundstage. Mm. Mm. But it's still, um, it's still a filming location, the Statue of Liberty, without a doubt. It was. And from your background, they did do that little cheer from Liberty Island, so. <laughs> that must have been so awesome. That was so, like some, I'm guessing it was, it was a, actual, it was a scene in the movie, uh, and, but it was probably like also a promotional event. Um, so I'm assuming there was just a lot of press there. I think I can even see Peter McNichol in um, in the corner there, right underneath the uh, yeah. That's you know, so that's pretty awesome. And Jack Hardemeyer is he's back. <laughs> yeah, apparently there was a scene that got cut out with him and Lenny. They reconciled. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I I wondered that. Like, why was he in some of those New Year's Eve scenes? <laughs> Yeah, so maybe he wasn't as much of a Richard as, you know, we thought he was. I mean, yeah, this I, film has brought out so much, you know, it's great, and, I, and that's why I love it. And, you know, one thing is that, you know, there are some good collectibles, some that I, I wish that have came out already. Um, for, for Ghostbusters 2, at least, one big collectible that I have is the four-pack of Ghostbusters figures that Toys R Us came out as an exclusive. And they were in their holiday hats, and I still have that to this day. One of my prized possessions that I'm never giving up. And, as, you know, the Ernie Hudson that um, signed my Winston figure. I also have, uh, from, Maddie, from Maddie Collector, the collectible line of Ghostbusters, I also have a Vigo the Carpathian um, action figure as well. But there are some things I wish that um, they could... I wish Funko could do a Ghostbusters 2 line. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it can be done. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Have a Vigo Pop. I, I could just imagine what a Vigo <laughs> Pop would be. That would be funny. I would... Yeah. That would be cute. A Vigo Pop. They should re-release the um, Kenner Firehouse. I think that'd be amazing if they did that. Well, one thing is that also is that the real Ghostbusters was still going on when Ghostbusters 2 came out. So there was some um, toy lines that they had that were brand with Ghostbusters 2. One was the, I think it was the Ecto Blaster, uh, but, you know, was the design of the Slime Blower. And, you know, it was just the Slime Blower. We all knew <laughs> that what was... Am I correct? Yeah, no, and it actually, that slime blower toy had the uh, Ghostbusters 2 logo on it. So, interesting overlap. <laughs> and also, um, uh, the Ecto-1A from the real Ghostbusters line. <laughs> Which, it, it was just the first Ecto, uh, Ecto-1, just with, with added stickers to make it Ecto-1A, so... But I still wanted it, even though I had the first, the Ecto one. I definitely wanted the one A. But um, yeah, and also um, around that time they came out with the, I think they're called the um, Power Pack Heroes, which basically they all had darker suits and they had the the those um, the pass devices on their belts to make it look like they were from the second movie. You know those yellow devices on the belt. Oh yeah. yeah. So you could sort of see that in some of the Kenner figures uh, around that time. 
Um, what uh, collectibles that you own of Ghostbusters, uh, Philip? Uh, I own. I don't have a whole lot, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I have the uh, the Stranger Things NECA uh, figures of the boys when they dressed up as uh, Ghostbusters in the season two. I have the four pack of them. Um, my Proton pack. Uh, the 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 Ectomobile Workshop manual. The Visual guy. Um, I own uh, Ghost of Our Past, the book that was used in the 2016 movie. They actually uh, made that into an actual book. Um, uh, Tobin Spirit Guide, I have that. Um, I have a couple of vinyl dolls, Ray and Egon. Uh, what else, what else? The novelization of the 2016 movie. And... Uh, the Elmer Bernstein score, the score, yeah, uh, the album for the first movie, and that, the P- uh, PKE meter, uh, yeah, that's about, that's about it. I, I definitely um, want to grow my collection and grow more uh, when when economic constraints aren't so binding, but, you know, I still have time, one at, one piece at a time. Definitely. And Randy, the question to you. So I actually still have my Kenner Firehouse. Um, it's right next to me. It's collecting dust. Uh, nice. it's, I've had it. Yes, I've had it since probably the second movie came out. And I remember pl- playing that thing until it was it's just wearing. I'm just wearing it out. And um, I would use it not just for Ghostbuster, you know, action figure storylines. I would make it like the villains headquarters for Batman and um, you know, different things like that. Uh, uh, yeah. Phil put me to shame with his collection. Cause I don't really have that much on this. Honestly, uh, I consider my probably my greatest uh, possession is this suit and all the pins and, and patches I've accumulated over the years. You know, this is like a, a living, it's a monument to the franchise. It is, you know, my, my ode to Ghostbusters and every time, you know, I go to an event, I, I walk proudly in it and it, it makes me feel great. Um, I think my, um, my Egon Spengler, the rest of you know, the Harold Ramis, uh, rest in peace pin. That might be my favorite, um, that hits close to home. Um, I've got this Ghostbusters three pin <laughs> for a movie that never happened. I've got, um, this pin here, it's uh, a hoverboard over the No Ghost logo, so that's a, a fun little mashup. Um, yeah, I just have to, like Phil. I have to, I have to, to grow my collection a lot more. Um, maybe comic books, and uh, I do want to get my hands on the um, the reissue uh, Kenner figures. I think that'd be a lot, all four of them. Oh yeah, that that yeah. is definitely on my to buy list. Um, other than that, yeah, I have the visual history and I've got the spirit pack and, um, yeah, basically this suit is my, my favorite and, and the firehouse. So, yeah. Um, there was one thing I forgot to mention. I do have, uh, um, a few years ago we had the chance to, uh, meet, um, Harold Ramis's daughter. Oh, Violet, yes. We, was, yeah, uh, we, were there. we were there. We were there for, for that. Uh, <laughs> who's promoting her book, Ghostbusters Daughter. 
you got to meet her. She signed um, the book. That was a really good read. There were things, you know, from her perspective, things I didn't even didn't even know. And, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but that was the first time that I'd seen National Lampoon's uh, Vacation. I, I, I never, like, sat down and watched it all the way through, and I was like, that was fun. That was fun. That was a <laughs> fun movie. Will, I loved that movie. Vacation you know? will be another topic on Nostalgia Time later. Um, but even go for that, yes, that was a great time that we saw um, Violet. I mean, that is close as we're ever going to get to uh, Harold for now. Oh. You know, God yep. rest his soul. And some, I want to pay, pay a few tributes to the actors um, that passed in the film of Ghostbusters 2. Harold Ramis, Hank de Dorschen, Hank Dutschendorf, and William von Hamburg. I think just yeah, one of them. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Willem. Yeah, he was in Die Hard too. He was a villain. Uh, villain in that. I gotta watch that again because I do not remember him. And he has a very. It's not like he. Like he was in the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Oh wait, he was the guy who was like, "I want blood." Him? I don't know. Oh, wow. That's, that was Alexander Goodenough. He also passed away, but. Um, Vigo in Die Hard is, he's got, he's a big guy, he's blonde hair, he's got a ponytail, um, and he's not really in it much, but, you know the scene where he's, where, where John McClane straps that bomb to that computer monitor and throws it down an elevator shaft and explodes? Uh-huh. Vigo is in this, yeah, he gets okay. killed at the scene. <laughs> watch, watch that, watch Yeah, watch it again, you'll, you'll, you'll notice him, I think. Yeah. I think he lo- he lost weight for Ghostbusters too, actually. Yeah, when he was a pro wrestler, but for one thing, we pay tributes. God bless them and thank them for all the work that they've done um, through this movie. Um, also, one shocker in uh, that I, even with Ghostbusters, I'm just going to put this out here right now. My birthday is December twenty eighth. And I just found this out just a while ago. The actress who played Gozer, what's your name? Uh, She's got a, a weird look. look. I can't. Slow, <laughs> look. I can't pronounce it. Let me see. Um, da, 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 da. Slavitz, Slavitsa Jovan. Right. <laughs> she has the same it. birthday as mine. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean that that's just oh that was just a shocker. You know, ghost some things in Ghostbusters still shock me to these days. I think it will shock you too. But I wanna be putting before we celebrate by popping the champagne, I wanna put it out there where all um what's coming in two thousand twenty one um is the movie Ghostbusters Afterlife. A uh, long way. Yes, we were supposed to get in 2020, but due the pandemic, which I will not be saying, we're going to be getting it in 2021, hopefully. Ho- uh, hopefully in theaters, but I mean, I'm I'm hoping it doesn't get pushed back any longer. I, mean, I foresee a digital release, and I'm not totally against that, though I would love to go with you guys in person to a theater and see it, but, yeah, you know. 
We'll see. Um, quick, two two things real quick. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to uh, Michael Chapman, who was the director of photography for Ghostbusters Two. He was the DP for my favorite horror movie, The Lost Boys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he he's great. And uh, if you want to see uh, Peter McNichol as a sorcerer's apprentice, uh, check out 1982's Dragon Slayer. It has the greatest cinematic dragon ever put the film, Vermithrat's pejorative. Sorry, Smog, and, and Game of Thrones can whatever, but that is the best dragon, cinematic dragon ever. And if you want to see see Peter McNichol try to do, you know, with an American accent, act alongside all these British actors, um, check that out. It's a good movie. Sort of, you know, good sort of sorcery. And you know what? I think Peter McNichol is, he, he's totally underrated in this movie. I want to see oh, yeah. some more of him, you know? He's so... Oh, funny. and Ali McBeal. I forgot about that. Ali McBeal. Oh. It's on, uh, they're on, the episodes are on DVD. He was phenomenal in that show. Loved him. I know. I, I got to see that show for more of him because he's great. And he was in one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Sophie's Choice with Meryl uh-huh. Streep, Kevin Klein. Mm. He was like uh, sort of like the goofy friend in that. Um, he's pretty much kind of typecast, I'd say, like kind of like that the goofy supporting character. And he's just yeah, he's just a lot of fun to watch. So yeah. So with this all we put together, we um, want to salute a toast to <laughs> Ghostbusters Two, a great film um, should be shown by everyone. Especially on New Year's, because it is a New Year's movie. So with this, Happy New Year. We celebrate to Ghostbusters 2. Live on. Into the franchise. I want to thank my guest with me today. Um, the host of Unger the Radar, Randy Unger. Thank you for coming on. And Unger the Radar is shown on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. Mondays at 11 a.m., Please check it out. I also want to thank my fellow um, New York City Ghostbuster member and my good friend Philip Rogers. Thank you for coming on to Nostalgia Time. We hope you come on again very soon. Yeah. And with this, I am Kid Champagne, Matthew Haberman. Kids Champagne, signing off. <laughs>